It is through Jesus that we continue to be nourished and knit together as part of the body of Christ, that we might grow with the increase that comes from God alone. You're looking too far for that need you have inside. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Today we're looking at the rest of Colossians chapter 2. Because of the triumph of Christ, we have come into this place of fellowship with the Lord And we consider the position that we have in Christ Jesus already, the finished work that he had there upon the cross, that nothing more is needed. And so then Paul, if we backtrack one verse, I began in verse 9, we backtrack one verse, he was actually setting us up for the verses that we're going to look at today, verses 16 through 23. For in verse 8, he says, Beware lest anyone cheat you, through the philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, then came the promised Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and that promise of the Holy Spirit to us to this day as believers in Jesus Christ. And so the Feast of Trumpets was a new moon festival that marked the beginning of a civil year for the Jewish people, and they would blow the trumpets. And I think this is still a future uh, fulfillment for us because the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with him. One day we're going to hear a trumpet blast as well, and it's not going to mark the beginning of the new year like January 1st does for us. It's going to be marking the beginning of a whole new life in Christ Jesus that has been promised to us. We are alive forever according to the word. Right now, we are alive forever. Our spirits will remain, but we're going to step into a whole new form of life that when Paul said he was caught up into the third heaven, he said, I saw things that words can't even describe. The Bible tries to put a description around it for us, but all I can say is it's going to be amazing. 
The Day of Atonement. This is the seventh feast day that's mentioned here, Leviticus 23, 27. On the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So the Day of Atonement was a day when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies, first for himself, and he'd bring in the offering, and then he'd come back in for the people. And it was a day that all the sins of that year were wiped clean. It was like the day that the slate was wiped clean. But then, of course, after that day, the slate begins to get marred up again, right? You get the chalkboard out, and here's another one, another one, and another one. And throughout the year, there were times when you would do sacrifices of sin offerings, trespass offerings, peace offerings, various offerings that were made, burnt offerings to the Lord. But on the Day of Atonement, every year, annually, there was the wiping away of these sins, that it was like a brand new day. You've been forgiven, and this is what Christ has done for us in the Hebrews 9.26, where the writer of Hebrews is saying, then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world, but now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He would go on to say once and for all, it's a one-time deal, that Christ is the fulfillment of this Feast day, the day of atonement. Christ has made atonement for us once and for all. It's not an annual thing that you have to go through. Christ has paid the price. That's why we say once saved, always saved. Christ has paid the price of those sins. We don't have to. Even the writer of Hebrews would talk about forcing Christ to do the sacrifice all over again. How ludicrous that would be. Christ has done it once and for all. And finally, the eighth feast was found in verse 34, Leviticus 23, 34. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be a feast of tabernacles for seven days to the Lord. And so the feast of tabernacles, where they would, for them, would be reminded of the time that they spent 40 years in the wilderness. But the Bible tells us in John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That Greek word for dwelt literally can mean to be tabernacled. He put on a tent of flesh. We beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Christ is clearly the substance of all the above-mentioned feasts of Leviticus 23. That's why I kind of gave it to you in the notes that you can look at this and know it and keep it. Hang on to that. Christ has fulfilled them all. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So therefore, let no one judge you. But secondly, let no one cheat you. Verse 18 in the first part of 19 says, Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility, the worship of angels, intruding into those things, which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head. So whether Judaizers, Gnostics, or some other form of apostasy that was being taught during their day, he said, let no one cheat you on these things. These cheaters, 
They were taking delight in the fruits of their own flesh. They were those who did not hold fast to the head, which is Christ. We find it even in churches to this day happening all the time. Jesus said the church would be this way in Matthew 13, 37 through 43. He says, and he answered and said to them, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered, they shall be burned in fire. So it will be at the end of the age. Then the righteous shall shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let them hear. And I, I kind of question on how I could present this portion of scripture, but Jesus had said that there was this sowing of the tares in the good crop of the kingdom of God. He had spoke a parable and the disciples had asked Jesus later on, what do you mean by this? And so this was Jesus's commentary to the parable that he had spoken earlier that day. And basically he said, you're going to have within the kingdom of God, the church of God, you're going to have good wheat and tares and they're going to grow up together because the harvesters asked the Lord saying, do you want us to go and to uproot the tares and get them out of there? And he's like, no, if you do that, you're going to damage the good seed. Have you ever tried that gardening and, and try to get those weeds away without and you're holding like the plant down and trying to keep that from getting pulled up? And you know that even underneath the soil, you're doing damage to that good plant. I don't know what the answer is. Jesus said, just leave him alone. I'll let the angels deal with it at the end of the age, and they'll determine between what is good and bad at the harvest time, and those tares will be burned up with fire, but the righteous, they'll shine forth from that day forward. We have here those who are trying to cheat us. They have this false humility versus true humility. The Bible tells us in uh, 1 Peter 5, 6, to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. Verse 7, casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. So there is a true humility. There is a right way to humble ourselves before the Lord. I can tell you this, as Gail Irwin would say, the wrong way to show humility is to walk around within the church and saying, I'm so humble. It's not by announcing your humility that you're truly humble. If you have to announce it, it's probably saying that you're not. If you have to announce it, it's, it's pride, right? Look at how humble I am. I'm not pride. No, it's not pride at all. Just humble. Just humble. The worship of angels versus the worship of Christ. Look at how fascinated to this day people are with angels. We've had movies, TV shows, books written about them. There are distractions, some would say, and as we, I've been reading commentary over this, some would say, you know, I'm so humble, I can't, can't pray to Jesus. It's not right for me to pray to Jesus, so I'm going to pray to an angel and ask him to pray to Jesus for me. Or people use that with Mary, the mother of Jesus. I asked a Hispanic friend of mine once from Mexico, so why do you guys, I just asked the question, why are you just so caught up in this Mary thing? And he says, well, you know, he goes, it's kind of like in our home life. He, maybe he didn't talk that way, but in our home life, yeah, <laughs> I just won't even try to sound like him. Um, 
he goes, when you want something and you know that if you went to dad, dad would say no. So first you go to mom and you ask mom first. And he goes, well, that's why we pray to Mary because we know if we pray to Jesus, he might say no. So we pray to Mary that Mary can go to her son. It's like, really? But the Bible says that we can come boldly into the throne of grace. That means that we can pray to Christ and Christ alone. Christ is the substance of these things. So the worship of angels versus the worship of Christ. Intruding into those things not seen, a very hard portion to really understand what's being referred to then. This is Pastor John again. I sound like a broken record, or I should say a broken recording, because as I was teaching through the series on the book of Colossians, we had a bad microphone that was causing the recordings to fail, so I'm going to pick up where the recording failed in this message. I got my notes from that day, and we'll just finish out this message. Intruding into those things not seen, perhaps referring to the mystic rites, or boasting about their gifts of spirituality, claiming to have had visions or dreams versus the revealed truth in God's word, being vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, perhaps referring to the wisdom of this world versus the wisdom of God, not holding fast to the head whom Paul has already connected to Jesus. Back in Colossians 1.18, he said, He is the head of the body, the church. Chapter 2, verse 10, Who is the head of all principality and power? Perhaps they're not holding fast to the head, refers to the rejection of Christ as the only way to salvation, which many teach in our world to this day heaping various rules and regulations upon those who are seeking true fellowship with God. Proverbs 14, 12 reminds us, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. As we continue on in verse 19, we see the believer's realized reward. Verse 19, second half of that verse says, From whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. To keep from being cheated out of our heavenly reward, we must guard ourselves against false humility, the worship of angels, intruding into mysticism or all forms of human pride. We must rather hold fast to Christ our head, knowing that it is through Jesus that the body of Christ is nourished and knit together and grows. Romans thirteen fourteen, Paul says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Well, in the Greek, the word head referring to the preeminence or supremacy of Christ over his church. And we, as his church, have become the expression of Jesus, his ears, his mouth, his hands, his feet, to a world that is in need of salvation. 
Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, verses 22 through 23, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Also, we find that we are nourished and knit together. To be nourished means to be fully supplied. And this speaks about the full provision of Christ, not only concerning our salvation, but our being fully equipped through the empowering of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work of the ministry that he has given us to do. Ephesians 5.29 reminds us, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. But we are also knit together. A Greek word that refers to being driven together, to unite, uh, to knit together or to instruct or teach. And just like with our bodies, when every part of our body is working in harmony with each other, we do well. But when one part rebels, well, our whole body suffers. And that's how it is in the body of Christ. When the body of Christ is working well together, well, the fellowship, the church, it does well. But when one part rebels against the teaching of God's word, the whole body suffers. And I think we see that suffering in our world today. A mixed message of what the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Colossians 2.2, Paul reminds us that we're to be knit together in love. And finally, we are to grow. The word grow in the Greek here is a present imperative verb, which could be translated, be continually growing. We are to be continually growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And one way that we do this is through the study of God's word. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Therefore, to ensure that no one cheats us out of our reward, we must hold fast to Christ our head. It is through Jesus that we continue to be nourished and knit together as part of the body of Christ, that we might grow with the increase that comes from God alone. Thirdly, Paul reminds us, let no one subject you, verses 20 through 23. We read, Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Once again, Paul brings us back to an earlier truth 
that through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we have died to self and the things of this world and are now to live for Christ and him alone. He wrote in chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, that we have been buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Basic principles refers to man-made religions and rules and regulations, false teachers who had gained disciples through their philosophy and empty deceit, teaching the tradition of men according to the basic principles of the world, but not according to the things of Christ. Paul warned us in chapter 2, verse 8, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, these commandments and doctrines of men aren't necessarily bad, but they become great dangers when they supersede or nullify the truth of God's word. The early church fell victim to these basic principles of the world by subjecting themselves to regulations, the do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern things which perish with the using. Paul says, according to the commandments and doctrines of men. These commandments, these doctrines of men, Paul warned about, they were introduced under the guise of religion that they might obtain a deeper knowledge of or a relationship with God. And to this day, commandments and doctrines of men, although they may be greatly popular, they threaten the health of our churches when they supersede and nullify God's word. Paul preaches against these self-imposed religions where self was at the center of the worshiper and not Christ. And those who took delight in the fruits of their own flesh, though they had the appearance of wisdom, these very things were actually indulgences of the flesh and their own pride. This caused me to think about the medieval monks who all took the basic three-part vows, that of poverty, chastity, and obedience to the order of the monastery. But they would soon discover that keeping such vows was extremely difficult. They practiced self-tortures, such as wearing hairy shirts to make them itch or failing to wash. And I don't know what's worse, smelling yourself because you haven't bathed or having to smell someone else. I, I would say it's having to smell someone else who hasn't bathed. They also had harsher tortures involving the beating of themselves, all which could fall under the guise of self-imposed religion, false humility, the neglect of the body. These very things were actually indulgences of the flesh and their own pride. Perhaps we're not guilty of acts of self-torture as the medieval monks were, but we can bring upon ourselves these forms of self-imposed religions where 
Self is at the center of the worshiper and not Christ, and it's a danger for us. But Paul reminds us, since we have died with Christ from the basic principles of this world, then why are we conducting ourselves as if we are still accountable to the things of the world, which has no value? My brothers and sisters, it is Christ who is our substance. Therefore, may we guard ourselves against all forms of self-imposed religion in order that we may not be judged or cheated or subjected through the philosophy or empty deceit of this world, the traditions of men according to the basic principles of this world and not according to Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word, Lord, and I pray that you would bless the teaching of your word to our souls, that we would learn to walk in faith and to live in Christ, knowing that Christ Jesus is our substance. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.